I'm Alex Delay, and this is Vision Vibes. This story was originally broadcast on television as part of NHK World Japan's interview series, Direct Talk. With the pandemic limiting our daily activities, I found myself thinking more and more about my health. I even bought a smartwatch and a fancy scale to tell me if I'm properly hydrated and exercising enough and sleeping well. Spoiler, I'm not. In my journey to become healthier, the hardest part for me personally has always been food. Environmental journalism professor Michael Pollan once summarized the ideal diet in just seven words eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Sounds simple, right? But so many of us, myself included, struggle to get it right. The food we eat is barely food, it's processed beyond recognition and neatly packaged in flashy colors. It's engineered to be addictive rather than nutritious, and good luck tracing it back to the original farmer. Today's guest challenges us to rethink our attitude towards food. James Rebanks is a British regenerative farmer and best selling author. He runs a 600 year old farm in the Lake District, one of the most beautiful places in the United Kingdom. Spread over almost a thousand square miles, The Lake District is a picturesque paradise of lakes, valleys, walking trails, and farmlands. The area's cultural and natural importance are such that it was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site five years ago. What advice does James have for us about our relationship with food and agriculture in the modern world? Let's join narrator Joanna Bartholomew and find out on today's episode of Vision Vibes. In 2015, a sheep farmer living in the Lake District became an internationally best selling author, drawing global awareness to debates about methods of farming and food production that have been raging for years. James Rebanks is the most famous shepherd in the UK, if not the world. His two books on his life and experience as a sheep farmer have been translated into 18 languages. He runs a 600 year old farm in Matterdale, where he lives with his family, as well as 500 Herdwick sheep, cattle, chickens, and sheepdogs. Direct Talk met him at his farm to hear about his passion for regenerative farming. This valley of Matterdale is where my family have lived and worked for the past three generations, for the past 600 plus years. This landscape represents my family, my friends, my community's work for many, many centuries, and it's a sort of powerful cultural identity, really. I think we're in a slightly terrifying situation now, particularly because of the tragedy that's unfolding in Ukraine.、Uh, Ukraine and Russia produce something like 30% of the world's grain and barley. Suddenly, where, and COVID as well, put massive stress on food systems around the world. I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that. Is our food system resilient enough? Is it robust enough? Can it feed us? And I think a sensible, calm, measured take on that is no, it isn't right, actually. Sadly, now's the time to wake up to that, to say, hang on a minute, how would we feed ourselves if we didn't have that 30% of grain? How would we create a food system that would be resilient enough to cope with a future, something worse than COVID that might happen? Now 47, James has witnessed firsthand the huge changes to farming in his lifetime. 
His grandfather's farm in the Lake District Hills was part of an ancient agricultural landscape, a patchwork of crops and meadows, of fields filled with grazing animals and hedgerow buzzing with wildlife. But change was already underway during James's childhood. For most of my young life, we were told we needed to be more like a large uh, industrial American, Australian, Ukrainian farm. And that meant huge big fields, get rid of all your hedgerows, get rid of this little patchwork landscape, the historic landscape, get big or get out. And for most of my young life, I believed that was progress. That was what we needed to do. But what's really interesting is if you go to those farming lands, you see that that's deeply unsustainable, that you have monocultures of one or two crops that are beginning to fail, that have massive soil erosion, that have dead soil, that has no soil health left in it. And at that point, you have this horrible realisation that we're copying the wrong thing. We're going in the wrong direction. Agricultural practices changed dramatically throughout the 20th century, particularly after the Second World War. New technologies in the 1960s led to powerful machines which replaced the plough, Heavier use of pesticides, artificial fertilizers, and antibiotics were all introduced. Food was being produced faster and cheaper, but few anticipated the long-term effect upon the land. So after the Second World War, people have experienced hunger. There's a massive demand for cheap food, and there's a bunch of new technologies and a bunch of new chemicals, uh, uh, particularly nitrates that have been used in explosives, that were... That that the scientists and the chemists work out how to apply to agriculture to have this boom in productivity. And I'm not sure any generation of people in the entire history of the human race would have turned down those things. It seemed like you could grow crops magically. It seemed like you could kill weeds magically. We could produce more stuff to feed the people who needed the food. And it could all be put into a supermarket. So when you industrialize animal agriculture, when you build these big, huge sheds, uh, when you feed them lots of grain imported from the other side of the world, you can massively bring down the cost of food. But you're doing it with antibiotics, you're doing it with fossil fuels, and you're doing it with cheap grain grown with lots of fossil fuels. You haven't really dropped the price of food, you've just masked the fact that you've dropped the price of food with a huge influx of fossil fuels and medicines. And we were all told, we were told by governments, we were told by economists, we were told by everybody that this was good. This was, this was how we were going to feed the world. This was how we were going to make everything better. We didn't know the downsides and we needed certain things. But we do know the downsides now. We know the limitations of those things now. The long-term damage to the land created by some modern farming technology is recognized by environmentalists. But better farming practices may mean consumers will have to pay more for food. Spending on food proportional to income has declined in first world countries. And food production has moved away from local suppliers. In the UK, the price of meat, vegetables and grains is dictated by a monopoly of large food corporations. So do we have a problem now in terms of being addicted to overly cheap food of the wrong kinds? Yes, we absolutely do. I think we're the generation that have to be adults where we go, okay, we're eating too much pig, too much chicken, grown in systems, using grain that use too much antibiotics. How would we get out of that? What would future farming systems look like where we could, in some cases, turn the clock back to something more sustainable and healthy? In other cases, do new things using new science, new knowledge, knowledge about soil, knowledge about grazing. And... And we might have to eat different things. We've created this insane society where we're asking 1% of the population to produce all of the food for the other 99%.
whether we like it or not, that's an abrogation of responsibility. We, we, we all need to care about food and we need to care about how our food's produced. Given what's happened in the last couple of years, we need to be really worried about some of the things that could happen down the road. So I personally believe in having much more local food systems that are much more resilient, much more robust. We need more farmers, not less. It's the opposite of what we were told. And we need to work out how to do sustainable farming in the ecosystems we live in. Born into a farming family dating back several generations, James never expected to become a world-famous writer. After dropping out of school at 15, he discovered the joy of reading, and he decided to return to studying again. He proved this time to be so clever that he won a place to study history at Oxford University, where he graduated with a double first. The thing that changed me really was when I was 17 or 18 and I began to realise that my family was struggling and I didn't understand why. But I think what really changed is, like 20 years ago, I began to become really frustrated by how disrespectful or how, how little respect we had for farmers around the world, how, how much we took them for granted, or even worse, how angry we were with them for the, the impacts they'd had on the world without us, the rest of us taking any responsibility for why that happened. And I think somewhere along the line I thought, I can't keep quiet about this. I have to speak about it. I have to explain as to the best of my ability. And then ultimately the penny dropped, which is all my dreams about being a writer had not been about being a farmer writer, but ultimately that's what I became. I wrote about my family and the history and how our little farm had changed. And I've stumbled into this strange situation where people all around the world have responded to that and feel like it's their story as well. Or they recognize the truth in it, hopefully. After university and while writing his books, James researched other farming techniques in different parts of the world, looking for solutions for the lack of sustainability in farming. I went all around the world as a look at different farming systems to look at what works and look at what we need to do. And if you go and look in the American Midwest at places like Iowa and Indiana, you can see this at its greatest extreme and you can see what an ecological disaster it is, which is the Mississippi taking all of the soil away dead zones because of all the phosphates and the chemicals in the Gulf of Mexico uh, huge erosion of topsoil so that thing can't last very much longer and you realise oh, oh we're, we're, in, we're in big trouble In this difficult terrain of steep hills and valleys James breeds animals who will flourish in this landscape On James's farm he has 500 Herdwick sheep a breed native to the Lake District on the farm we've gone back to heritage breeds, so the belted Galloway cattle with the, the white striper on the black bodies and then the Herdwick sheep, which are the native sheep of this landscape, uh, which go right back to ancient British sheep with a, a big dollop of uh, Viking genetics in their makeup. So this is a pastoral farm, which basically means we're a grass farm. The whole farm is just one big green solar panel really. But a lot of the food that, that humanity eats is going to be on land that's ploughed, arable land. So you need different solutions, different farming and different ecological solutions in different places. This is what, this with the habitats that we're building around these cattle and sheep might be what a solution would look like for a pastoral area with the animals and the grazing. You'd have a different set of solutions in an arable area. So the cattle that you're looking at in the background here have to be the right breed, the heritage breed of this landscape so they can outwinter, they can live on grass, just grass, no grain, and need no medicines, no artificial inputs just getting things as natural as possible. And what's great about it is, is how healthy they are. So we haven't used any antibiotics in any of these cattle for the last seven years. Uh, we've never helped one to give birth. 
It's just an incredibly natural system, a very different system to the one that I grew up with, which was all about the housing, all about the boat feed, all about the pushing things intensively. One of James's passions is communicating the importance of soil. Rotational farming, which means rotating animals and assorted crops through different fields, is to ensure soil health is renewed and not depleted. So soil's the basis of all agriculture, and agriculture is the basis of everything that you and I eat. Uh, and it turns out we've been taking soil for granted, thinking it was just dirt, you stuck plants in, you fed them stuff from the top. But in this handful in front of me, there's more living things than there are people on Earth. Feeding soil means that you need super diverse range of plants. So in our fields we have over 200 species of grasses and herbs and flowers and they all do different things. We need to do some things that would have seemed crazy to my grandfather like wasting some of the grass and trampling it onto the surface so that worms and insects and other things can take that organic matter into the soil as well. So our, our understanding of soil is, is, being, is getting profoundly changed and if you're a farmer and you don't understand that you're, you're, you're in really dangerous territory because we have to understand that. In one area of the farm, James has created a woodland to boost the biodiversity. He has also planted over 35,000 trees. So we're sat in one of the woodland or riparian river strips that we planted back at the start of our journey 10 years ago. And I love this space because it's where we're starting to put the, the habitats and the processes back that should be in our landscape. So what we've done here is we let the river naturalise. You can probably see the little... Uh, willow that's emerging on the riverbank that will change the whole course of the river where I'm, where I'm sitting in years to come we've planted the alder and uh, willows and nitrogen fixing pioneer trees so these are some of the 36,000 trees that we farmed on the farm um, you'd think if you planted 36,000 trees you planted a forest actually most of those trees have been in hedgerows or these these wildlife strips or around the fields we're trying to make every field uh, function ecologically like a woodland clearing and also we haven't eliminated grazing in this area, but we just do grazing that's very, very naturalistic, very light, very periodic, with the cattle occasionally. There's an old saying, which is, build it and they'll come. And what we find is things come really quickly. Within weeks, things come. So we just build a whole series of ponds on another part of the farm. Within a month of building those, we had birds that we'd never seen before arrive on them. And that's mind-blowing and thrilling. What I'm really passionate about is that we combine living here, working here, keeping the livestock here, being productive, feeding people, but also think about the wider responsibilities we have. James remains an optimist. And on his farm, the rhythm of the shepherd's year is much the same as it's always been. He believes that aiming to combine the best of traditional and modern ways using science to improve farming techniques is the way forward. I've never been more excited about being a farmer. I've never been more proud of being a farmer. I've never been more filled with joy about getting up every day and working on the farm. Why? Because I think farmers can solve the problems that we have. I can learn from rewilding projects. I can learn from conservationists. I can learn from soil scientists. I can pack my soil with carbon. I can fill this farm with life and I can build on everything that my dad and my granddad did and I can mend their faults, I can mend the things they did wrong, and I can mend the things that I did wrong 20 years ago on this farm. And how exciting is that? Instead of being the bad guy, the farmer can become the person who mends things, the person who puts the world back together. And I think that's something that farmers can, all around the world can get excited by. James's message is that people need to think about farming more often, as the food they eat depends on farmers around the world. 
three times a day you need a farmer, whatever you eat, wherever you are. And I would suggest that farming's much more important than we've thought it was for the last hundred years. I would urge everybody to think long and hard about the food that you're eating and where it's coming from. And how we can have a dialogue, dialogue with the farmers that feed us to, to create the landscapes that we need. Three times a day, you need a farmer. Our entire lifestyles are built upon the hard work of an increasingly small community. Farmers around the world are struggling, in large part because we aren't caring enough about what we eat. We want cheap food, even if it's mass-produced, packaged with chemicals and washed of nutrients. James reminds us farming is about so much more than volume and quotas. We have this antiquated stereotype of farmers being uneducated, almost uncivilized, when nothing could be further from the truth. The modern farmer is a biologist, an engineer, a conservationist, sometimes even an award-winning author. There's an endless bounty of knowledge and expertise to be cultivated in any profession, which is why we have to treasure farmers like James. And we should listen when James tells us it's time to change our attitude toward food. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript as well as our other stories on the NHK World website. I've been Alex Stillet. Join us next time for more mind-expanding insights from inspiring people on Vision Vibes. Vision Vibes.